The resurrection is what marks us. It is the distinction that we hold among all of the human race that we believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is alive from the dead, that he was crucified, that he gave up the ghost to quote unquote on that cross, that he voluntarily and of his own free will offered himself as a sacrifice for the sin of man and that he died on that cross. His body died on that cross. As dead as anybody that's ever died was dead, he was dead on that cross. They took his dead body down from that cross. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out and then come back. He was dead. And just to put it in, in good old southern vernacular, uh, without any disrespect whatsoever, but he was dead as a hammer on that cross. He was dead. But three days later, when they go to the tomb, because of the, uh, the uh, Sabbath uh, restrictions on them doing everything that they did to folks who had died back then, and when they go to his tomb, they find that it's empty. So the first thing that, you know, they use their rational mind, like Mary did, somebody has stolen his body. He was such a controversial figure in Jewish society and such a threat to the Romans that they perceived uh, that, well, they've, you know, somewhat, they, they've either stolen it to desecrate it or they've stolen it to achieve some other purpose, but the body was not there and the assumption was made somebody has stolen his body. Now, for Mary Magdalene, bless her heart, she is a study. Uh, in a human being who has experienced the lowest point of her life was not the life she led before the Lord relieved her of uh, possession of unclean spirits. The lowest point in Mary Magdalene's life was when she went to that tomb and found it empty. That was her greatest grief. And you could almost, you know, uh, uh, think what she's thinking. What greater indignity can they do to him than they have already done to him? He was scourged. We don't appreciate that the way we ought to because no one has been able to duplicate that scourging that he experienced. Amen. I'll never forget. I don't reckon. Haven't forgotten it yet. It's years ago. Brother Albert Batt standing behind the pulpit. God gave him two visions the first one was Jesus on the cross. And when Brother Bats would reference that, he would cringe his face. He would squeeze his face. He would cringe at the memory of that vision that the Lord had given him of Jesus crucified on that cross. It is a bloody horror. He was literally ripped to shreds. And had he not been the Son of God, the scourging would have killed him. It would have killed you or I. Or anybody else. Absolutely, his body ripped the crown of thorns, the swelling of his head as the, uh, the, the thorns were pressed into his, uh, into his skull area. The bleeding from that and from the whipping would have killed anybody else. And that was the last picture that Mary Magdalene had of Jesus 
whom she loves so dearly. Now all this junk we've heard in the last few years about Jesus didn't die, him and Mary went to France. I mean, I can make up something better than that. Went to France. I went to Daytona Beach anyway. Went to France and had and all this other, you know, and they made these big movies and, you know, Hollywood made money out trying to spend this thing. You know why? Because they are scared to death of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The last image Mary has of Jesus, her Jesus, is he is ripped to shreds on that cross and they take his dead body down from it, wrap it up, do what they can before the onset of the Sabbath, and put him in that tomb where no man had laid, Joseph of Arimathea, donated in the tomb. That was the last visual she had of him. And now she goes to the tomb. It's empty. Somebody has stolen his body. They're going to desecrate it. Perhaps they're going to put it on display. Oh, he said he was this and, and he could do all that. But look at him now. I mean, I, I can just, you know, rationally think all these things going through her head. And the lowest of her lows, she wept bitter tears. And some guy walks up behind her. Well, it's the gardener. Maybe he knows. Maybe he knows what happened. Maybe he knows where they have taken him. So she asked him, can you tell me what they've done with him? Now, the thing from the, the call to worship I read this morning, Mary was asked twice, woman, why are you weeping? The angels asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? And then Jesus, whom she's supposed to be the gardener, he says, Woman, why are you weeping? She's weeping because her heart is broken. And it's the lowest point of her life. Oh, if you'll only tell me where they've laid him so I might go and rescue him from any indignity that his corpse may suffer, that I may go and minister to him even in death. And then speed shifting, if you will, from the lowest point of her life to the highest when he calls her name Mary. See, Jesus done told us that my sheep know my voice and another. They will not follow. And even though she did not... Am I doing something? Am I rattling? Praise God, I'm rattling. We try not to do that. We don't believe in that around here, by the way. She hears her voice. Now, Jesus is in what I call, and I'm the only one that calls it this, I reckon, what I call the transitional form. He has not yet been glorified because had he been glorified, it would have been a completely different scene. He's in transition. He is alive from the dead. He has not yet ascended to the Father. He is yet to be glorified, but he is risen. Now, this is the same form he takes when he, uh, on, on uh, the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And he's talking with them, and they don't know who he is until he reveals himself to them and then disappears. Boy, can you imagine how them old boys felt? Woo, glory, it was him, and he's gone. He didn't walk out the door. He was gone. He appears uh, to the disciples. He, he just appears in the room. Nobody opened the door let him in. He was there. And yet in the transitional form, he retains the wounds that he suffered on the cross. For when Thomas, also like Mary, everything he believed in had just been crucified. Thomas, we've seen him. Don't hand me that. 
Have you ever been around someone who is so totally disillusioned? That was Thomas. I don't criticize. We call him doubting Thomas. We shouldn't because I don't criticize Thomas. I sympathize with him. All of his hopes and dreams and everything, he watched it crucified. He said, I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I touch the nail prints. I'll believe it when I touch the, the, the spear for the spear went in his side. Y'all, you know, don't mess with me because I'll believe it when I see it. And our Lord, how good is our Lord that he made a special trip just for Thomas. Ha, whoo, I didn't come here for everybody else. Son, I come here to see you. He, I, I'm convinced that the heart of God was touched by Thomas's despair. And son, I want to prove to you that I'm alive. Who is the first one to fall on his knees and cry out, My Lord and my God, Thomas, a risen Savior. Mary, from the low to the high. And, and it's often been misunderstood when he said, Mary, don't touch me because I haven't yet understood. You know, it's, it's not like don't touch me. You know, like you, you know, go somewhere, they strange people. I don't want strange people touching me either. Don't touch me. What he was really saying was, child, you're going to have to let go of me. Because <laughs> you got to go back and tell the brothers what you said. You have got to let go of my knee. She grabbed hold of him, and she meant she was not going to let go. She would die right there if that's what it took. Because she never felt better in her life. He's alive. Praise God. Child, you got to go tell the brother what you've seen. And that's the only reason she let him go was to obey his command. So she does, and she goes tells the boys, hey, I've seen him. He's alive. I've seen him. Now, in Acts 4 and 33, Word of God tells us that with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They did this with great power. Power and that great grace, great unmerited favor was upon them all. Now, there are two evidences I want to share with you tonight. There are more, but I just want to cover two of them tonight concerning our confidence in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be a prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We are witnesses to these things. We are sharing with you an eyewitness account of what we have seen and what we have heard and what we know to be the truth. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. Paul speaking to Timothy. This is familiar scripture. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Well, what's that got to do with the resurrection? These men died, with the exception of the Apostle John, who died of old age. The other 11, and let's substitute the Apostle Paul for Judas here, all died as martyrs for the faith. 
they did not die for no fairy tale. They didn't die for something that Bubba shared with them. They didn't die for something that they had read. They did not offer themselves. And here's the Apostle Paul says, I am ready. Why is he ready? Because he encountered a resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. As surely as the other 11 had a testimony, we know that Jesus is alive. So the Apostle Paul could testify, I know that he's alive. I have experienced his presence. I have heard his voice. And I am ready to die in defense of the gospel. Praise God. Buddha's dead and in hell. Allah is a figment of Muhammad's imagination. Muhammad is dead and in hell. Come on. Oh, the over two million gods and goddesses of the Hindu religion, as Brother Moses shares with us, are all fantasy. They are nothing more that they are as alive as the wood on this podium. Dead, dead, dead. Nobody else got a living Savior but us. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. And it is the resurrection that makes the difference. I get aggravated. Y'all know I, like, I watch these science shows and history shows and, and the archaeological stuff. I'm really into that. Boy, I like it. And it bugs me. That will reference Jesus until his death in A.D., you know. And I want to go, hey, bud, you ain't through. What about the resurrection of Jesus in A.D. 33? I mean, they'll bring you, secularly speaking, they'll bring you up to his death, but they refuse to acknowledge his resurrection. And, it, and you know, brother, they don't call nobody a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the fool has said in his heart that there is no resurrection from the dead in the case of Jesus Christ. Those who deny the resurrection of Jesus are fools. They have, they have parked their brain and have embraced every other false doctrine from the pit of hell itself. Because you've got to replace it with something. These men offered themselves willingly. Go back to old Stephen. And Stephen wasn't an apostle. And you say, well, he wasn't, he, he wasn't lesser than anybody, but he wasn't an apostle. But I tell you what, he got them tore up enough that they brought him to court. And while they were examining him, Stephen, it, it, knowing you know, what's going to happen, stands up. I, I believe in him. What I told you is true. Jesus lives, he lives. You know, and if he's not, and I can hear him saying, hey, if he's not alive, then show us his body. Well, they can't because it ain't there. He lives. And, the, and, the, and the, the inquisition, if you will, from that council, you know. And then all of a sudden, because people, people get this, you know, sideways. Uh, he didn't have this experience when he was being stoned. He had this experience when he was before the council. He looks up the heavens. They said, I see the heavens open, and he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, what response did he get? For, you, would, you would have thought those guys would have said, Oh, Lord, it's time to pray and get right with God. No, it just made them mad. Made them angry. It made them so mad. When you are so mad that you will bite somebody, that's part about as mad as you can get. You know, I mean, I've, I've been mad enough, uh, unfortunately, and I'm not, not, you know, I'm not proud of this. 
take a swing at somebody, you know, years ago. But when you're mad enough to bite somebody, that's mad. You flaming mad. You jump down off something and bite, and bite them. You know, don't touch me. Why? Because he said he's alive. This is the difference, the distinction, if you will, that enrages the enemy and those who are under his influence. They couldn't care less that we teach the uh, disciplines of the New Testament. They wouldn't care less, you know, that, that we say we need to do this or don't do that and all that. They don't care about all they don't want to hear from us is that he's alive from the dead. That is because, see, there are consequences to Jesus being alive from the dead. I'm going to get to it at the end of this thing. But these men offered themselves willingly. They left their home. These apostles went to the far-flung places on, on the planet, if you will, to preach this gospel to people who had no idea what a Jew was, much less who Jesus was. And in these hostile environments, they proclaimed the gospel. The Spirit of God moves, people are saved, and yet they engender the hostility of those in, in power. And they are martyred, they're killed, but they do it gladly. This is a first century eyewitness testimony of one thing, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Evidence number one, those men did not die for no fairy tale. They did not offer themselves for some lie or something they knew to be untrue. They knew he was alive. And when they embraced that truth, it strengthened them and they lost their fear of death. Because once you embrace the resurrection of Jesus, you ain't afraid to die no more. Amen. Now, if you like me, it's not a fear of dying. It's, my concern is laying there hurting. You know, and that, like I, I shared with you, that Monday night last Christmas that the Lord had given me a choice, said, son, you want to lay there and hurt or come on up and be with me? I just, I'll just go on up and be with you. So it ain't the dying. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the laying there in discomfort. But once you embrace the resurrection of Jesus, what is death? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. What is it replaced with? It is replaced with this tremendous, almost indescribable, joyful anticipation of this Bible coming to pass. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. That's one thing about Sister Roberta Caldwell. Bless her heart. And she's been like this for you. That's the only person I know ever get upset with God because he didn't kill her. And she had, I've had to, you know, I've, I've counseled her before. Brother, Andy, I don't understand why I'm still here. I want the Lord to take me. Well, Roberta, that's, you know, that's, that's up to God. You just got to, well, why can't he take me? He took John, why don't he take me? Well, he will in due time, sis, I promise you. But, you know, you hear the thing, well, you Christians talk about, you know, uh, living forever and going to heaven, but none of you want to get on the next bus. I promise you as I stand before you tonight, Roberta Caldwell, if she had a chance to step on the next bus, would be the first one on the bus. She is looking forward with great anticipation to being in the presence of God and being out of this body that has been so confining for her for the last several years. There is a, a liberation that takes place in the spirit of man once we embrace the truth 
about Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God and that he is alive from the dead. Amen. So these men, witnesses of the resurrection, took it all the way to the grave, gave them confidence for living and confidence for dying. All right. Number two, John 15 and 26, Jesus said, But when the Helper, the Comforter comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. John 16 and 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Then Acts 1 and 8, we all know this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, Brother Greg shared with us this morning, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read this in verse number 1. After what Jesus has said in John after what Jesus has said in the first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, 50. Day of your birthday? Hey, Richie White's 50 years old. You know, uh, uh, congratulations, Brother Rich. You're officially an old man. But here's the good news. You're a living old man. Because the devil never thought you'd make it. But he's a liar. <laughs> and I felt the Spirit of God when I said that. When the day of Pentecost, means 50, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly, out of the middle of nowhere, with no warning, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It sounded like a tornado. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. They all had their own little flame on top of their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused for a couple of reasons. One, what's making that noise out of that, you know, it could have been a day like we have out here without a cloud in the sky. And, and not a breath of wind blowing, but there's a tornado taking place in that upper room. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How did they know they were Galileans? Because they had an accent like old brother Andy's got. I'm from the south. It's not real hard to determine that. I don't preach up north. Because I, I, you know, in all probability, they'd be sitting there laughing more the way I sound than what I've got to say. They were all Galileans because of their accent. Did you know they didn't let them sing in the temple or do stuff because of that Galilean accent? It was so profound that everybody said, aren't all these people Galilean? They sound like Galileans. Now, they're speaking in my language, but they sound like a Galilean speaking in my language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, 
We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, ah, they're full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose. See, it is only the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning of the day. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the continuing evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now people have a misconception concerning us Pentecostals that we need, you know, to do our very best to straighten out. Being a Pentecostal ain't about speaking in tongues. It ain't about running. It ain't about feeling that wonderful, glorious feeling you feel when the Spirit of God moves on you, in you, and through you, and that is indescribable. And it's wonderful, and I highly recommend it. Because I know what it's like to be enumerated by other forms of intoxication found in that world, and there ain't nothing, beloved, can even approach the presence of the Spirit of God. We call it the blessing because it is. There's folks in this house can stand up right now and say, Brother Andy, I know what it means to be blessed of God. I know what it means to be blessed of the Holy Spirit. I know what it's like when he just absolutely... And I've, I've had those myself, and they're grand, and they're glorious, and they're wonderful. And like I said, I highly recommend it. But the, the thrust of Pentecost is not the Pentecostal experience itself. It is that this Pentecostal experience 2,000 years later is the continuing evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and that he is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we have a message to tell this lost and dying world. It has come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because he is alive from the dead. How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit has come what did he say he said I will I will I will send him to you I will pray the Father praise God when I get back home when I'm ascended when I take my seat again at the right hand of God the Father you're going to know that I made it and it amazes me still today how some people can come to such a callous state where they take the promise of God and just let it roll off their back like water off a duck's back. Remain in Jerusalem. Tarry. Wait. What you want me to do, Lord? Wait. What? Wait. Wait. I ain't, I ain't built to wait. I'm built for speed, not comfort. I ain't, but, you know, wait. Don't do nothing. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. 
And when he went up, they were standing there looking like they, he, they thought he was coming back in a minute or two. He'll be back directly. You reckon? Yeah. Man, he ain't going to be gone all day. He'll be back. He'll be back by the time we go eat supper. Well, yeah, he'll be back. And it took the angels going, what you boys looking at? This same Jesus who left is going to come back in like manner, but he ain't coming today. So you need to remember what he tell you to do, go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait. Well, that's the last thing he said what, was go to Jerusalem and wait. So we don't know how many went. We don't know how, what the capacity of that upper room was on day one. But 10 days later, it was 120. Does it, and here's a little side note. Does it benefit me to, A, believe God and then wait on the promise? Yes, it does. Because when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ came down and inhabits the church. That is why our claim is not like anybody else's claim. Brother Andy, won't you do this ecumenical deal? Won't you get on a platform with you know these Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and all that other stuff? Because they have me out. We got to throw this guy out. Why? Because I got to turn to them and say, hey, you know what? <laughs> Your God's a lie. He's dead as a hammer. Your Allah is a figment of Muhammad's imagination. Your two million Hindu gods and goddesses is a fairy tale. Old Buddha did not dissolve into nothing as he died and is in hell as I speak. Here's the thing, here's the, because Jesus' resurrection is the rub. We are not like everybody else. We can't play nice. Praise God, that's my little grandson right there. He's got loose. You want his granddaddy? He does. Hey, Brother Dan, how you doing? I'm looking at you. Get him honey bun. He'll be fine. Yeah. No, he said, go ahead. Come on, baby, get him. He's fine. Get him. I know he wants granddaddy. Yeah, it's all right. You didn't want me to house while ago, did you? It's the resurrection that makes a difference. It's the resurrection that makes us impalpable. It's the resurrection that makes us politically incorrect. Because here's the deal. If Jesus is alive from the dead, that Bible's true. And if that Bible's true, we better get down to business with finding out what the God of that Bible likes and what he don't like. We better get down to business to finding out what the will of the God of that Bible is for our life. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that means that Bible is true. It means that heaven is sweet and hell is hot. It means that we are going to live or exist forever somewhere. That there is somewhere in this universe, it exists, a lake of fire, and the day is coming when God the Father is going to deposit sin and everything stained with it in that lake. If Jesus is alive from the dead, then there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If Jesus is alive from the dead, that means we are the children of God. We're not like ordinary people. I'm not sticking my nose up in the air. And you know how I feel about this haughty holiness. I, I, I reject it altogether. But I am saying that because of Christ, we have been born again. Our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And we have everything to look forward to. What are we going to say to those apostles? Some, some of them were flayed alive. They took a knife and just cut them. Others were crucified. 
Others were, were, were stoned. Others, you know, were, were thrown off the tent. Oh, what are we going to say to these folks who gave that? And we say, well, I didn't want to offend nobody. I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Hurt nobody's feelings? Help us, Lord. Oh, you Christians, I ain't mean. People say, Brother Ed, you're a mean old preacher. I ain't mean. I'm telling you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And if your name, I love you enough to tell you, if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you ain't going to make it. Who's going in the resurrection, Brother Andy? Who's going in the rapture? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're going. And they're the only ones that are going. And it's the resurrection that makes the difference for us. It gives us the right to tell other people, you better get right with God. And call upon the name of the Lord. It gives us the right to say, time is short. All this work that Brother Byron's done investigating the ashes of the red heifer, nine have been sacrificed, one more is going to be sacrificed, and the Antichrist is going to do that in the third temple. And if that heifer that was born back in September can make it to three years without any white hair on its body, she's it. That's how close we are to the coming of the Lord. She's it. She was born so far. Now, they had another one a couple of years back, and, boy, they had high hopes for it, and then they examined her one day and found three white hairs on her tail, and she had to go McDonald's, I reckon, I don't know, wherever. Well, you're done. <laughs> but when that last red heifer is born, and when that last red heifer is ready, during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to sacrifice her in that third temple. What does that mean? That means that three and a half years before that, a resurrection took place and the living church was caught away. That's how close we are to the coming of the Lord. If we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's time to get serious about where we're going to spend eternity, folks. Amen. And it's time to get serious about being a child of God. Christianity is not my hobby. Oh, Brother Andy, I know, but it's your job and everything. It's not my job either. It's not my hobby. It's my life. That's why I appreciate our vice president who said, before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian. I appreciate that. Man, I appreciate that. Because Donald Trump needs a man of God somewhere close all the time. He just needs it. He just needs a marriage all the time. The resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. To see him, like John. Now, understand, here's John. He's a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. Now, he's the only one that's going to die of old age. But he's a prisoner on the island of Patmos, in the mines on Patmos. That was not of, uh, you know, of a timeshare he was living in. Awful circumstances. Stuff you and I would never tolerate. We wouldn't let our dog live in it. But one day, in the Spirit, he's given the revelation. Can you imagine? John remembers what Jesus looked like. Those three years, they walked, and he talked. He remembers what Jesus looked like. Praise God. When he was on that cross, ripped to shreds. Old brother John, he remembered what Jesus looked like in the transitional form. 
before his ascension and glorification. He remembered what he looked like on the Mount of Olives. He remembered what he looked like the last time he saw him as he's being lifted up. But it's different today. Because in the Holy Ghost, John has been lifted up and he sees him. The same Jesus, he sees him. He's not the, the, the rabbi from Galilee, the man from Nazareth anymore. He's not in the transitional form. He's not ripped to shreds anymore. But he is high and lifted up. He sees him as Isaiah saw him. His train fills the temple. His hair is white. His eyes are a flame of fire. Burnished breath. He is a glorious visage to look upon. He is, it absolutely just knocks John a winding. He don't know what, he's really like us. We don't know what to do. And John knew him. To the point where he's, he's almost in a day. He falls down at the foot of an angel. Angel's getting him up. Get up, get up, get up. Don't worship me. Get up. We worship him. We are fellow laborers. We are partners in this. Don't worship me. Worship him. Praise God. Can the Lord, very image of his being, be so glorious, so marvelous, so wonderful, so awe-inspiring? And John put it down in words, and even though it's the word of God, our imagination is unable to picture him. He is a holy Warrior king. Get him off that cross and get him on that throne. When he said, All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me, he was not joking. See, that's what the enemy is afraid of. He's not afraid of our psychology. He's not afraid of our feel good. He's not afraid of all this other junk that goes on. He fears a risen Savior. He's coming back. He's going to get his people first. Then seven years later, he's coming back again. And when his glorious foot touches the Mount of Olives, it's going to cleave. Can you imagine the glory of his presence to split that mount in half and create a valley out of it? Imagine, if you can, the glory of his presence as he walks up to the eastern gate that is blocked up with a Muslim cemetery in front of it. And just the, the sheer glory of his presence blows a hole through that gate. And he walks into that reconstructed third temple and sits down in that chair. And we are with him. You don't get the devil off your back? Quit concentrating on your worries and your problems. Put your concentration on a risen Savior. I grew up in a church singing this song, We Serve a Risen Savior. He's in the world today. Hallelujah. We serve a risen Savior. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And there is no power in this universe that can compete with his name. I got to preach this. I think I'm going to preach it at Fort Lake because the Lord has been leading me. And I preached it here just a, you know, a few weeks ago. Mama Chowdhury didn't know. She had no idea. All she knew was that Hindu religion did not work for Gulapali, her son. And she didn't know that the first word to come out of her mouth in that prayer was Jesus.
Jesus. She ain't been to Sunday school. She ain't been to church. She ain't been to camp meeting. She ain't been to revival. She don't know nothing about nothing. She's ignorant. Not stupid, but she's ignorant. All she knows is somebody told her that Jesus was God. That's all she knew. You know what? That's all she needed to know. Jesus, with no idea that when she spoke his name, that she had the attention of God's created universe. Jesus, they tell me you are the God of the Christians. Somebody told her he was God. Not a prophet, not a good teacher, not a, a moral man, not all this other stuff. They try to say, well, the Lord was just this or just he, he was just one of many. No, 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 that's not what they told Mama Chowdhury. They didn't tell her that Jesus was one of many. They told her that Jesus was God. <laughs> and that he was the God of the Christians. She probably didn't have an idea what a Christian was. Then she asked him the question, if you heal my son, see, because God, she knew that if he was God, he could heal. If you'll heal my son, I'll serve you. I will serve you. I will abandon everything I've been taught. I will turn my back on the Hindu religion, and I will serve you and you alone for the rest of my life. And that may not have been the most theologically correct prayer that a person could pray, but it was sincere and it touched the heart of God. And when that little old high class, uh, high caste Hindu woman had got through praying that the Holy Ghost, because she had spoke the name of Jesus, the Holy Ghost entered that room and touched the man that we call Moses Chowdhury today as a child and raised him up healed. Now what was the effect on Mama Chowdhury? of a risen Savior, you ask Moses, he'll tell you, she served him without fail. Woo! When the times got tough, she served him without fail. When her circumstances screamed, doubt him, she served him without fail. When the persecution came, the consequences of her decision, came home. She served him without fail. When the only Christian witness she had was a cigar-smoking Roman Catholic priest, she served him without fail. And then one fine day she crossed his path with a Church of God missionary named Harold Turner. And the rest is history. That's the God we serve. That's the risen Savior that we serve. Brother Palmer, I've shared this with you before. Young man, Christian family, Church of God family. Went to church. He went to church because he was going to church unless he was died, dead or dying. But that one service, he went down that altar and got right with God. And the Lord touched him, saved him, set him apart, baptized him in the Holy Ghost, blessed him abundantly. But the next day, see, Monday is always coming. Monday's always coming, and Monday is the day the devil likes to work because you're not in church anymore. You're by yourself. You, you are that, you know, you, you, you're cut from the herd. He's walking up that road beside his daddy's field, and his daddy had planted cotton in part of his field, and they lived on the Georgia-Alabama line. 
had a big farm. And the enemy began to speak, Brother Palmer, and said, you know, you know you ain't got nothing, don't you? You know that you were just doing what you've seen other people do all your life, don't you? You know there ain't really nothing to it, don't you? That it's just a lie. You've you seen other folks and their lives and their failures, and you know there ain't nothing to this, don't you? He whispers to him. And Brother Palmer stops. He said, wait a minute. Lifts his hand toward heaven. He said, Lord, I ain't going to live like this. I got to know. I got to know if what I've got is real. I was there at Baird Church of God, and Brother Palmer shared this. And I saw the expression on his face change. He smiled, and the next words coming out of his mouth were, and when I came to myself. I live, says the Lord. I am alive. And I'll watch over you with a jealous and eternal love. I love you, my children. I embrace you this day. I command you to believe in me and to trust me with your whole heart. I give you instruction in my word. Live for me. Serve me. For I live forever. And the time is coming soon that where I am, there you will be also. Therefore, worship me, says the Lord. For I am risen, I am holy, I am all-powerful, and I am in this place. Stand your feet all over the house. I'm done. I could preach another nine hours, but I'm not going to.